Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discover the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Exodus 15:11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Psalm 21, verse 13 says, Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing praise. We will sing and praise your power. Well, I want to praise him. I want to praise him for my home, for my wife, our family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandson, furry kids' possession. But I should preface that by thanking him for my salvation, because without that, I don't, I don't have any of those things. Praise him for provision and protection over each and every one. It's no matter how bad it looks, he's protecting us for the dreams and the visions and the promises being fulfilled, for his healing virtues to being still available to us, for favor and revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him. Praise him for the signs that he's giving us to get ready, to be ready for his return. But then I must pray. If I'm going to praise, I enter his courts with thanksgiving But now I come to him in prayer and petition. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. It's what Psalm 122 verse 6 says. I pray for America. Going through some turbulent times right now. But you know what? I'm going to praise him. No matter what, I'm going to praise him. I know that he's in control and he is still God. And I trust him. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, and the martyred, the innocents, those poor in spirit, those victims of injustice. We live in a fallen world. This is not our home. And the God of this world hates us, but the God of all creation loves us. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, the both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. I pray for missing and exploited children, for the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, a satanic, diabolical endeavor. And I pray each and every day for those victims. 
Pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Get ready, folks. Pray against the religious persecution, the anti-Semitism, the boldness of the spirit of the Antichrist increasing as the time of its personal unveiling approaches. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. You're needed. And if you're going through something right now, heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, whatever it is, begin to pray, begin to petition, begin to speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with his word. So in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, I pray that each and every one of you would be healed in his name. Pray for divine protection. That Psalm 91 covering being in an effect over each and every one of us. For inspiration, the inspiring fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up. For the remnant to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. If you're not going to answer now, when will you? I pray for those who have been blessed to be a blessing. If that's what you've been called to do, then do it. The time is right for Firefall to shine, for SRT to become highly mobile. It's time for those that have been waiting for their release to be empowered and funded and have full provision, highly mobile. So let's prosper in accordance with his word. The open conduits of the blessings to fund the dreams and the visions and the missions would be available to us. I claim it in Yeshua's name. And I pray for our lost family members to find the way out of the darkness, into the light, into his love, into his kingdom. I only have one other report. It's an update. I asked you to pray for a friend of mine, Rick, in Winter Haven, Florida. Well, he was sent home on Saturday, and he's getting better. So thank you for those prayers. Father, you're all we have. Abba, Papa, Dad. We love you, and we praise you, and we worship you, the God of all gods, El Elyon, God Most High. There is none like you, and you've allowed us through the blood of your Son and through reconciliation to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, and we do so now. We want to hide under the shadow of your wings. We want to cling close to you, Lord. We need you. We need your touch. We need to hear your voice. We need your encouragement. We need your enlightenment. We need revelation, Holy Spirit. So right now we clear our minds. We take our thoughts captive to Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah, and we cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of our Heavenly Father. We ask you to bless this technology. Let this word come forth, not just in power, but in revelation. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to be ours this night. And most of all, we ask to hear your voice, to feel your presence, and to know your love. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, say amen.
These lessons are proprietary information except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I still feel led to begin this way, so our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That daily bread, that was the manna in the wilderness, and that's what we're talking about. We've been talking about the promised land, but now we're going to start talking about crossing over. That promise of a homeland made to Abraham when he was still Abram unfolded through Jacob and Isaac. Moses led them. Joshua took them in. We're told that the land was held in trust by God for his people and that obedience to God's ways would bring blessing in the land, but disobedience would bring his judgment. Seems like the the more I read, the more I see, nobody wants to talk about the judgment of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. He's just this big, fluffy, bearded father in heaven who gives you everything that you want and whoever chastises you, even though the word says otherwise. Oh, yes, he loves you. He loves you, he loves you so much. He asked Yeshua to die for you. And he does love you just as you are, but he also loves you too much to let you stay that way. Everybody leaves out the second part of that statement. But, you know, before the promise can be fulfilled, a relationship must be forged with the Lord. Faith and trust must be learned, must be earned, must be re- it is required for you to move into the promise. And what's amazing is it was all his initiative. He did everything. He approached Abraham. He spoke to him in a vision. He was the one who made the unilateral binding blood covenant with Abram and his descendants, and he did it all. He walked through. He said it. He signed it and sealed it in the blood. All Abraham had to do was believe. Well, you know what? Salvation is the same thing. The correlations between the promised land and eternity with the Father are the same. John 3, starting verse 16. Now listen to this from the perspective of what we've been talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they've been done in God. Just like all Abraham had to do was believe. 
All you have to do is believe. Romans 3, starting verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua, whom God set forth as a propitiation, a payment by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Yeshua. It's a blood covenant promise, and he kept it. And what's amazing, he loved us even when we were unlovable. He loved us even in our sin. And sin and rebellion and 400 years of bondage did not destroy the covenant that he made with the offspring, the seed of Abraham. It only delayed it. A promise is a promise, but sin can delay it. Some people today are caught up in telling you the promise, but not telling you about the potential delay. They fill in the blanks with their own words, and they leave the Word of God out. We've talked about 12 spies entering the promised land to scope it out. Ten gave a bad report. Two, Joshua and Caleb, gave a good report. But the the people believed the bad, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Why would anyone want to go back to Egypt? Fear? Lack of faith in God? And on top of everything else, oh, by the way, there are giants. There are Nephilim in the land. Those cannibal, brutally violent, destructive Entities are living on your land. They're squatters. They don't need to be there. And all you have to do is kick them out. So Israel refused to enter the promised land. And it cost them 40 years wandering in the wilderness until every man above the age of 20 except for Joshua and Caleb died. Now, don't get me wrong, in the natural, they had a right to be afraid, but they've been journeying with the supernatural God the whole time. He's proven himself worthy of their faith. Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 through 22, Moses reminds them again and again, For the Lord your God is God of gods and lords, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you the stars of heaven in multitude. If you remember last week, I mentioned the Matthew Henry commentary says this, and I felt it, I, I needed to repeat it. Those who begin with the work of God must resolve to go on with it, or they will make nothing of it. Looking back inclines to drawing back, and drawing back is to perdition, it's to destruction. Those are not fit for heaven who, having set their faces heavenward, face about, but he and he only that endures to the end shall be 
saved. You have to go on. You can't give up no matter what has happened, no matter what's gone wrong. Faith is believing that he can even when we think we can't. But just like with the children of Israel, fear once instilled eradicates all faith and triggers a very ungodly response. I don't know what your promised land is. I know what mine is. But obedience is the condition for your entrance and your journey into the promised land. Some will pass the test. Many will fail. And not everyone makes it into the promised land. I'm sorry if you've been told that everyone gets in. Not everyone does. Not Aaron. Aaron didn't get in. Not Miriam. She didn't get in. Not even Moses. Go with me to Numbers chapter 20. There was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, and that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Once again, the people are complaining. They're whining. They're whining here. They're whining there. You know what that makes them? A bunch of whiners. Yes, thank you. So Moses and Aaron, they went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And they fell on their faces. You know what? Moses was pretty good. Even though he got frustrated, he would intercede. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its waters. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now remember, he's been told this once before. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Mirabar, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. It all went south from Moses and Aaron, right there in verse 10 of Numbers 20. There's a reminder in Deuteronomy 32, verses 51 and 52. Let me read it to you. This is the Lord speaking 
to Moses, Because you broke faith with me among the sons of Israel at the waters of Mirabah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not treat me as holy among the sons of Israel, for you shall see the land opposite you from a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. This is Moses we're talking about. But Moses disobeyed a direct command from God. God had commanded him to speak to the rock. Instead, he struck the rock with his staff, not once, but twice. Well, he did that in Exodus 17. So I'm sure somewhere in his mind, he thought it would be okay. But let me just read you Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, to show you the difference between the two events. Then all of the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. You know, where they built that uh, golden calf, where they kind of rebelled a lot. According to the commandment of the Lord, camped in the Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses, and give us water that we may drink, they said. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and they complained against Moses and said, Why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I get it. I really do. These are are frustrating people. And there's a lot of them. But Moses was told to do something different this time. God wanted Moses to trust him. Especially after developing such a close relationship for so many years. Moses didn't need to use force. He simply needed to obey God. And to know that God would be true to his promise. After almost 40 years in the wilderness and all the years from the time of the burning bush, Moses knew better. But his anger got the better of him. He did it under his own power. He did it in anger. And he stole the glory from the Lord. And remember remember what he said. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? He seemed to be taking credit for the miracle for himself and for Aaron instead of attributing it to God. 
And he did this publicly. He disrespected God. He set a bad example. And God could not let that go unpunished and expect the Israelites to understand his holiness. Listen to me, folks. I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my soul, with everything that is in me. I love my Heavenly Father. And I talk to him all the time. But I understand who he is. And I'm not saying I haven't thrown tantrums. And when I was a baby Christian, he tolerated it more. But as I became more mature in my walk with him, I remember one time very distinctly, still in Tallahassee, I don't remember what caused it, but I threw a pretty good temper tantrum. All I needed to do was roll around on the floor and kick my feet and stomp them into the ground. But when I got done, I heard nothing. But then I heard my father's voice say, Are you finished now? And I understood right then that I'd gone a little too far. Moses knew better. We should understand who he is. We should understand that we begin to question him or what he's doing or think that he, we can demand of him what we want based upon our relationship, based upon everything he's done for us, based upon grace and mercy. We still have to know who he is. It's kind of what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, believers, that our fathers were all under the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and they all passed miraculously and safely through the Red Sea. And all of them were baptized into Moses, into his safekeeping as their leader in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them ate the same spiritual food, referring to the manna in the wilderness, and all of them drank the same spiritual drink, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Messiah. Nevertheless, God was not well pleased with most of them, for they were scattered along the ground in the wilderness because their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. Now these things, these warnings and admonition took place as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. See, the first water came out because of Moses striking the rock. This water was supposed to be different. The first came by force. This was supposed to come by the spoken word. I don't think they had seen a miracle like that before, and they still haven't. They died without seeing someone speak to the rock and water come out. This was supposed to be a supernatural event. Not that hitting a rock and having water suddenly burst forth from it is not supernatural. But to look at a man speak to a rock and make it do something out of its nature would have been a tremendous testimony to God's presence there and Moses' relationship with him. 
So the reason I'm telling you this before we get to the part about crossing over is we need to avoid Israel's mistakes. We need to avoid Moses' mistakes. And if you haven't figured it out, Moses had some anger issues. Uh, Killed that Egyptian, caused him to run from his home. Comes off the Mount Sinai, sees them building the golden calf. He takes the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, that God has written miraculously by his finger, which the rabbis teach could be read from either side. And he breaks them in righteous indignation that God does not hold against them because his indignation was with their sin against God. And then he struck, strikes the rock twice because he's angry, he's frustrated, he's reached the end of his rope, and it had nothing to do with righteous indignation. It was personal indignation. Religious zeal cannot become personal zeal. When the Lord overthrew the tables and the money changers and wanted to kick them out, which he did, and release the pigeons that they were ripping off the people with, he said, zeal for my father's house consumes me. My father's house is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. Boy, do we need some of that today. Your zeal for God got to stay righteous and has to line up with the word and has to be for him. It can't be personal. It can't be anger-driven. So this cost Moses, cost Aaron. Aaron dies not too long after on Mount Hor in Numbers uh, chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. His high priestly robes and roll is given to his firstborn son, Eleazar, and so he dies. Moses, though he's not getting into the promised land, gets to see it from a distance on Mount Nebo. So in his grace and his mercy, the Lord God takes him up to the top of Mount Nebo, Nebo, tells him to look into the distance, and he sees the promise. And that's where he dies. And his body is buried there in in some secret place so that no one would find it. And we know that from Jude 9, Jude verse 9, where it says, even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with Hasatan, Satan, the devil, and arguing over the body of Moses, did not dare bring an abusive accusation, condemnation against them, simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael, representing the kingdom of heaven, delivered his words in that matter because at that moment he was representing the king of kings and the Lord of lords against Satan stealing the body of Moses. And I can only assume that Satan was going to um, inhabit the body of Moses and he'd have been able to do a whole lot of destruction if he'd been able to get a hold of that body. Jewish tradition um, teaches that Moses was supposedly, I mean, Michael was Moses' teacher and was present when God put Moses to death. This is according to the Midrash version of Deuteronomy 11.10. All of that is simply to say, even Moses, in the intimacy and the closeness and the relationship he had with God, got chastised for messing up. 
And by the way, don't take Jude 9 and and turn it back and say, well, that means we shouldn't be involved in spiritual warfare. And Richard, you and SRT shouldn't be doing what you're doing, confronting uh, Satan and the fallen angels. No, no, no. Michael's example was acting as a legitimate representative of the king, being in good standing with him. And at that moment, in that exchange, the best way to handle it was by voicing the Lord's name in rebuke. But if we go to Matthew 17, I think the, I think the Father made it up to Moses. I really do. I take this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration on the top of Mount Hermon. Matthew 17, six days later, Yeshua took with him Peter and James and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. I already told you it's Mount Hermon. Same place where the watchers came down in Genesis 6, the same place at the base of the mountain is a grotto called Pan's Grotto, and Pan was worshipped there. And his appearance changed dramatically in their presence. And his face shone with a heavenly glory, clear and bright like the sun. And his clothing became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Yeshua. I I really felt that there was something personal that the Father allowed Moses to meet the Messiah even before he sets him free from Sheol, the area of the righteous dead. And the other interesting thing, and this is kind of like a Jeopardy, FYI, Aaron died on Mount Hor. Mount Nebo is at a higher elevation. So even in their death, God honored them in accordance with their stature. But as I read this today and I looked at it, I got it. Moses had always prayed and interceded before for the children of Israel when they did stuff like this, but this time he had lost his patience with them. Don't lose your patience. Don't give in to your flesh. Don't give in to the fruit of the flesh. Pray every day for the fruit of the Spirit. But disbelief distrust, disrespect, and disobedience to a direct command, interestingly enough, all beginning with the letter D, in front of the people, as a bad example to the people, cost him the promised land. And on top of that, stealing God's glory for himself, I'm going to tell you right now, we're in a season where the Father has had enough, the Lord has had enough. He's not going to share his glory with anyone on anything. And if you get in his way, he's going to remove you. So here we are. The journey to the Jordan River takes place in the 40th year of the Exodus, just as the Lord declared. And he kept his word again. Only Joshua and Caleb are going to make it into the promised land. I bet Moses and Aaron did not know when the Lord said that 40 years ago and included them. I wouldn't know if I were them. But being outside of time, seeing the end from the beginning, he was essentially prophesying that the only two men present at that point would be Joshua and Caleb to make it in to the promised land. 
a chosen people given a promised land as the divine inheritance. But now they must cleanse it from the demonic presence of the giants, the offspring of the Nephilim of Genesis 6, to obtain it. Moses and Aaron are gone. Joshua is now the leader to take them into the promised land. Go with me to Numbers 27, starting with verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go up into this Mount Abarim, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people, as Aaron and your brother was gathered. Gather, as Aaron, your brother was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you have rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. And as Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, "Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation." who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep with no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give him some of your authority, you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and we see in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. What we're seeing is a change in command. Moses has been relieved of command. Joshua has been promoted. Why? Because they're about to make a new journey. And a new journey needs new leadership. The Talmud says this about this section. The face of Moses was like the face of the sun, while the face of Joshua was like the face of the moon. And what this meant was that the greatness of Joshua was a reflection of his teacher Moses. But it also tells us the sun is much greater than the moon, which only reflects sunlight. But Joshua has been groomed. He has walked with Moses. He has learned from Moses. He's different from Moses. But just as we need new leadership and a new journey, both the government and priestly leadership has now changed for entrance into the promised land. I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. Be very careful about what I say. The government of this nation and the governments of the world are not the governments of God. They are not run under kingdom principles. Though they talk about the Ten Commandments and they, and they mention God, we are not a nation of the Lord. We have not been a nation of the Lord for a very long time. And what we're seeing and what we have seen is the end result of that. But where we're going in this next journey 
It's going to take new leadership. It's going to take new wine and new wineskins. And it's going to take a new government, the government of the kingdom of God. But Joshua has been trained. He's been prepared. Remember in Exodus 24 when the Lord calls Moses up to the mountains to give him the tablets of stone, the law, and the commandments which he's written? So in in Exodus 24, verse 13, it said, Moses arose with his assistant, or in his Hebrew, his minister, Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here until we come back to you. He says, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and, and Hur are with you. If any man has any difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. He says, wait here for us. That means Joshua is going with him. And we know that Joshua accompanies Moses at least partway up Mount Sinai. I remember the first time I read this, the revelation that struck me is that, wait a second, the Lord had said to them, set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourselves that you shall not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. That's in Exodus 19. But here we have Joshua. We know he goes partway up the mountain because in Exodus 13, after being given the tablets, the Lord tells Moses what's going on down in the camp, the the golden calf and the worship of pagan gods. And Moses takes the the tablets and he goes down the, the mountain and Joshua meets him on the mountain. And he says to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he says, it's not the noise. Moses says, it's not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the voice of the cry of defeat. It's the sound of singing, I hear. He's waiting for Moses. If, if, if Moses was just in the Holy of Holies, Joshua's right outside the veil. He's in the inner court. Joshua, son of Nun, has been prepared for this moment. All these years of walking with Moses, having the strength and the faith to at least go partly up the mountain. I I remember the first time I read that, I was outside uh, Christian Heritage, the old Christian Heritage in Tallahassee, and it hit me. Wait a second, Lord, he, he was on the mountain. You said anyone who did that would have to die. Why why didn't you do that to Joshua? He said, I honored his heart. He got to me as close as he could before fear stopped him. And I don't know if that meant he would have allowed him all the way up. I don't know. But he honored Joshua's heart. Joshua wanted to be near the Lord God. So he's gone from walking with Moses to walking in place of Moses. 
He's been filled. He's been filled with the zeal for the Lord God. He's been built up into the leader that they need at that moment to lead them into the promised land. Another thing about Joshua I want to point out to you is that whenever Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to meet privately with the Lord, Joshua went with him. And one time in particular really struck me, Exodus thirty-three eleven. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. He stayed after. And I wonder what the Lord said to him in those moments. It would take a bold man of God, a man after God's heart, a man hungering to be in the presence of the Lord to succeed Moses. It says he was a servant of Moses. He wasn't a slave. He was a minister, somebody in spiritual service. And he had another qualification. He had already led men into the battle against the enemies of Israel, the Amalekites, and destroyed them. And this journey is going to involve warfare. Folks, we're getting ready to make a different journey. We're getting ready to make a journey into the land of promise. It may not be what we think it is. And oh, by the way, there are giants in the land. A whole lot of demonic entities there too. And it's going to take people that understand warfare to make this journey. So now let's go to Joshua 1, because as we cross over, we're going to go into the book of Joshua. Now, remember, I'm teaching you history, but I want you to see it from where we are now. I want you to see it as a born-again believer. I want you to understand it as a spirit-filled, born-again believer in the King of kings and Lord of lords, because the lessons they learned apply to us today. Go with me to Joshua 1, starting with verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving you. Giving to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you, and do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left." 
that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be obedient, Joshua. Don't be afraid. I am with you. This band of refugees amassed here beside the Jordan River resembled very much the same group of people from four decades before. They were their descendants. Now, they had panicked once before. Would they do it again? Would these people repeat the sins of their fathers? Nothing has changed. The Israelites still face the same overwhelming odds. They still face the same supernatural enemy. But you know what has changed? There's a new spirit. There's new leadership. There's new blood. And when you look at that, everything has changed. The old Israelites were fearful. They had slave mentalities when they died off in the desert. And all of that older generation, except Joshua and Caleb, who did not have a slave mentality but became legendary warriors, these people were different. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove despised secretly, saying, Go in, go view the land, especially Jericho. The first time Moses sent twelve, one representative from every tribe. Joshua and Caleb, pretty smart, we're only going to send two this time. So they went and they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And there's so much we could talk about Rahab the harlot, but that's that's not where we're going with this teaching. So Joshua dispatches two spies, and he wants to know the strength of Jericho. This a city that is strategically located at the pass, leading from the Jordan Valley to the Central Highlands. So they're going to have to go through there first. So they go there. Jumping now to verse 23 of Joshua 2. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. This is a new generation, folks. They decided to trust God. They saw everything through those eyes, eyes of faith, and no matter what, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That's the kind of faith you should have. You know who your Abba Father is. You know who your Daddy is. You know whose spirit is inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
We should look at everything before us, though, no matter the size of the giants in the land, no matter the powers that be, no matter what you've been called to do, you should look at it from the same perspective that Joshua and Caleb did, and as these two who reported back to Joshua, the Lord has given the whole land into our hands, all these people are melting in fear because of us. We're in a new time. The church needs new leadership. The prophets of old, and I could spell that P-R-O-F-I-T-S, they need to sit down and be quiet. Their days are over. It's time for those that have been tested in the fire, in the floods. It's time for the remnant that has made it through the wilderness to enter the promised land. According to the Holman Bible Handbook, the Hebrew name Joshua, in Hebrew, Yehoshua, means the Lord is salvation. It's the shortened form of Joshua where we get Yeshua, which is where they got Jesus in the Greek He was a forerunner. He was an example of the Lord. Moses was the law. The law didn't get them into the promised land, though they had to know it. It was the one whose name meant salvation that was taking them into the land of promise. And even though the authorship of the book has been attributed to Joshua, they, they do recognize that they were later contributors because Joshua twenty four twenty nine talks about his death and unless I, I, Joshua couldn't have done it. So somebody else must have done it. But here we are. We're on the verge. We're on the verge of entering the promised land. It's theirs. They know it. They can take it. Oh, they're going to have to fight for it. They're going to have to put some effort in. It's going to cost them some skin. Hey, Jesus has some skin in the game. How about you? The promise made to Abraham is about to be filled by Joshua. 400 years, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses. And Joshua is the one who's going to get it done, but the Lord gets all the glory. What we're seeing from Genesis to Revelation, but especially in this section of the Bible, is that the Lord is in the reclamation business. He's in the land reclamation business, taking back what the kingdom of darkness has stolen. And to do that, we must cross the Jordan into the promised land, and that's where we're going to go next. So, Father, I come to you now. I don't know about anyone else, but I'm excited. I can only imagine how Joshua felt. I can only imagine how these these people felt that after 40 years, their fathers who complained and whined and moaned and groaned are gone. The moaners and the whiners are gone. And the people that are there have seen the goodness of God. They trust in the Lord their God. And they're ready to go in and take it. They're ready to go in and grab a hold of the promises of God. Just like that woman with the issue of blood. If I can only grab a hold of the promise, if I can only grab a hold of the tzitzit, I know that I'll be healed. We need a generation of that. We need a generation of those kind. We need a remnant to do that. We're going to cross over. We're going to get it done. 
So, Lord, touch us. Reach into your children right now. Touch us heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Show us the areas of our life. We're like Moses and Aaron. We haven't trusted you. We're like the children of Israel. We've complained against you. We've all been guilty of it. And I think we do it out of fear. We don't understand. But the fact is we can understand because your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and your ways are so much higher than our ways. It's no way, there's no way we can understand what you're doing. You see the end from the beginning. You're outside of time. But your promises are yea and amen. They're true. And we're holding to them. We're believing them. If you've confirmed them, if we know they've come from you, if they line up with your word, we know that you will do them. Our trust is not in men. It's not in horses or chariots. It's not in force. It's in you. And though you may ask something of us, may, you may ask us to participate. You may ask us to pray a little more. You, you may ask provision from us, just like when you built the tabernacle and they brought so much, you had to tell them to stop. But we're going to do whatever you need from us because we want to enter into this promise. We want to get as far away from Egypt as possible. We're not going back. Brothers and sisters, if you ever start looking back, cry out to the Lord, get on your face, ask the Spirit to help you, don't ever, ever look back. Get as far away from your Egypt as you possibly can and away from anyone that wants you to go back or wants to drag you back to it. We're entering the promise. And for us, the promised land is the new Jerusalem. The promised land is paradise. The promised land is a world in which the fallen no longer rule. The promised land is a, is a time where, where the death no longer has sting. And the lion lays down with the lamb. And the king rules. And David sits on the throne again. And I know we're so, it feels so far away from that now. But like Moses, if you look real hard... Can you see it? Can can you see the promise? It's it's right there. And unlike Moses, you're going to get to go in. The price has been paid. The blood covenant has been honored. You have been redeemed. And your father loves you more than you could ever possibly know. And I just, I ask you to believe all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been the Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.